Good morning. Just sort of a public service announcement. There's a few of us thin-blooded humans who, uh, actually, I, they don't know it yet, but we'll, next week, if it's this cold in here, we'll have blankets and coats to pass out at the back. I hadn't quite, I hadn't quite talked to the right person to figure out what the issues are, but it's, it's cold. I'd like to welcome each of you here, and uh, today is a is a good day, and uh, it'll be a full day with what we have this afternoon, uh, with the service for honoring, celebrating Larry's life, and uh, I'd like to encourage each of you to come if you can for that. It'll be a uh, a blessing, I'm sure, and an honor to the family. Just remind each of you who I think all of you here are familiar with the giving routine and where the bathrooms are and all that. And uh, if there are any issues you have with any of that, just let let one of us know. Coming up on January 30th, we'll be serving at Grace Place. And uh, we still need some oatmeal cream cookies for that. So if you can contribute to that, that would be good. And I came across just a small, small little reading, just a, something for us all to consider uh, or think about is uh, in terms of our, our uh, walk with Jesus and, and life. It says, how does the thief on the cross fit into your theology. No baptism, no communion, no mission trip, no volunteerism, no church clothes. He couldn't even bend his knees to pray. He didn't say the sinner's prayer, and among other things, he was a thief. Jesus didn't take away his pain, heal his body, or smite the scoffers. Yet it was a thief who walked into heaven the same hour as Jesus simply by believing. He, he had nothing more to offer other than his belief that Jesus was who he said he was. No spin from brilliant theologians, no ego or arrogance, no shiny lights, just a naked man dying on a cross, unable to even fold his hands to pray. Randy's going to come up and share some stuff with us re relating to uh, our weekend, next weekend with the Masters. So thank you, Randy. Uh, over the last uh, two years, as many of you know, uh, the search team has been searching high and low, and uh, they've uh, actually, during that time, found over a half dozen candidates that were willing to uh, consider the position here as senior pastor. Uh, a lot of those prayed for weeks, and a couple of them even prayed for months before they made the decision of whether to try to come to be our pastor and and um, in each case uh, for different reasons some um, decided it wasn't the right time and some decided it wasn't the right location uh, but anyway the door closed on each of those and we found ourselves uh, a couple months ago at a place where it seemed like uh, we didn't have any any uh, any place left to turn hardly we had looked everywhere we could think to look Pastor Ray has been very involved uh, since he's been here with the search team and has helped them out in trying to also uh, look for candidates. He's called many of his friends around the country, around the state, and some of those were some of the ones that uh, were praying about our position. But then he thought about um, an old friend of his from 
Gulf Coast Bible College days and uh, that uh, had been pastoring a long time up in southern Illinois. And so um, he decided to check with him to see if he knew of anyone in that area of the country that might be a good candidate. And so when he did, uh, as he mentioned last week, uh, he uh, found out that actually uh, Pastor Dan was uh, to the place where he was ready to uh, move on from where he had been 12 years and was, gonna, was just in the uh, process of starting to look for places to go for one more pastorate before he retired. So anyway, uh, uh, Brother Ray brought that report back to the committee and um, we prayed about it and um, everybody was uh, in agreement that we should ask him for a resume, for a resume if he'd be willing to submit a resume for uh, that position even though it was way down here in West Monroe and he'd been up there we figured it'd be worth a try so um, we did and um, he sent us a resume it was uh, by far the the most solid and best resume that that we had received in the two years uh, a lot a lot of experience and uh, a real solid candidate and so we uh, prayed about it and asked and decided to ask him if he and his, his wife, Lynn, would do a video conference with, with us, and, um, and they agreed to that. And so it was a very, very good visit. Um, we had done that before with other candidates, and this one was the most relaxed, and um, they were easy to communicate with. It became clear they were very much... Uh, uh, loved um, the Lord, they loved their family, they loved the church, and they loved pastoring. So um, we both agreed, they and us agreed to, to pray some more about it, and, um, and we did, and after a couple of weeks, we decided to ask them if they would consider coming down to candidate. And so they did, and so we're we're at that place where uh, they will be coming uh, next weekend and the search team is excited about it and the leaders are excited about it. Uh, there's been a lot going on, um, you know, the holidays and, and uh, losing loved ones and such as that that's, that's uh, been hard. But amongst all of that, um, we're excited that uh, we have a good, strong candidate that's coming next weekend and uh, we're going to get a chance to meet him and his wife. And uh, he's got uh, five different children, I think, that uh, Brother Ray's already mentioned to us about. And one of them will, uh, I think, be coming at least for part of it also. So you have an insert in your bulletin for next weekend. And um, on Saturday morning, everybody's invited to come and meet Pastor Dan and and Lynn, and uh, there'll be uh, coffee and juice and donuts and such if you're interested in that. And so it'll just be a time, an informal time, just to hear from them, ask them questions. And uh, you can see the picture up there uh, while I've been talking. And, and so um, we uh, are looking forward to finally getting to meet them face to face. Um, and then um, on the Saturday evening at 6, we'll have a, a regular type service like we're having now, except that uh, Pastor Dan will be speaking. And uh, also after that service, we'll have a time uh, to socialize back them and just mingle with them and visit with them on an individual basis. And of course, we'll have some finger food and some um, sweets and such as that too. It's always easier to to uh, visit if you have a little food to go with it, I think. <laughs> so uh, we do encourage you, to, if, if you can, sign up uh, on the sign-up sheet to, to bring um, something for that. Uh, then on Sunday morning, we'll have a service just like this with circles and a regular service, except that Pastor Dan will be visiting the, the service, that means, excuse me, be visiting the early circles, and then he'll be 
speaking again in the morning service, and then he'll be visiting the um, circles uh, after the service. And then finally, um, uh, we're going to, those that would like to, uh, will have a chance to go eat over at uh, Hibachi Grill uh, with the Masters um, Sunday after all the services. So anyway, I just want to say that uh, we really encourage all of you to be there. If you can come to all of that, it would be great. Um, if you have conflicts and you can just come to part of it, we'll do what you can. But uh, it's really important. It's a really important time in our church, a big decision. And we encourage you to come for that. Um, and then um, the other thing, let me check my notes here, make sure I'm not forgetting something. But uh, the other thing is um, we will have a business meeting uh, two weeks from today on February the 5th. Um, and that will be to uh, specifically to consider them to come as pastor. And so um, we did make some changes in the bylaws. We don't any longer have to have people sign a sheet the week before, so we won't be worrying about that next weekend. Uh, the quorum now is based on the annual business meeting, the, the number that was there. So, so basically, um, we're announcing that meeting now, and we'll have it in two weeks. And so um, there may be some, I know we had that last time, that were able to come for the candidating weekend but they had a work conflict or some other conflict that they weren't able to come uh, to the uh, meeting to vote. And so um, also we clarified that in the bylaws in the changes we made last summer. So um, if you came and participated in meeting the masters uh, uh, this, this coming weekend, then you would be eligible to uh, also uh, vote the next weekend, even if you're not there, you can, you can get an absentee ballot. So I uh, just wanted to make that clear. So um, anyway, I believe that uh, pretty much covers it, but we, the main thing is just uh, be praying uh, about next weekend uh, that the Lord would have his will in all that we do, and he would give a clear message to, the, to Pastor Dan and Lynn, and also a clear message to all of us as to is, is it his will for them to become our pastor. So, all right, thank you for that, for, for uh, being patient through all of that. I know it was a lot of information, but hold on to your, your sheet here and so you can remember what else is going on next weekend. Thank you. Can y'all please be on your best behavior now? <laughs> <laughs> now we're supposed to show our true self. <laughs> Won't you stand and join us as we begin worship? Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Ready? 
us join singing, All I Have is Christ. said amen. amen to that if you're still able to stand let's join together another beautiful hymnal hymn song in leaning on the everlasting arms
be seated, and children, you may go to your classes. Thank you so much. pray. Uh, James brought these up, wanted me to do, announce a couple sign-up sheets. I'll take them back. They'll be in the back. Uh, one is for Grace Place. If you think you can help serve on that on Monday, January 30th, you can sign up for that. And then the other one is for, and Randy mentioned this, for the Saturday, this next Saturday, the refreshment deal, just sign up for Finger Foods. Uh, what all you can bring. It looks like Randy and Karen are bringing enough stuff for the whole deal. So if you slip up and don't sign, I think we'll have enough to eat. Before Carvin comes up to share with us, uh, y'all will notice the uh, prayer needs that are mentioned in your, uh, in your bulletin. I'd mentioned earlier about the service today at 3 o'clock for Larry. Uh, keep the family in, in prayer during that time. And uh, let's pray. Thanks, Lord, for this time together this morning and uh, with family, friends, and, and uh, those we love so much. And uh, pray a special blessing on each person in this room. They'll feel your, your presence. You'll uh, meet any special, special needs or concerns that they have. Just uh, be near to them, each one. And, uh, I thank you for being with our world and uh, taking care of every, every part of that. And uh, I pray you'll bless the, the weekend coming up. Next weekend with the Masters. And I pray that today you'll bless Carvin as he shares with us. Thank you for his life and his willingness to, to minister to us. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Good morning, Cypress Street Church of God. If I have not had the opportunity to talk to you yet, I'm so glad you're here. I hope today will be very special for each of you. Some of you probably looked at the first page of your insert of the bulletin and saw I have just one verse as my text. You probably got excited about that, thinking we'll get out of here in just about 15 minutes. Then you turn the bulletin over. Some of you almost had a cardiac arrest. <laughs> it is not my standard style of preaching today, but I felt led to go this direction and will use as a jumping off place. Matthew, the fifth chapter in verse 48, the words of Jesus said, Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect, now, before you have any preconceived ideas as to what it means to be perfect, let me try to explain it. Jesus gives a command, be perfect. It means everything in its right place. Something that has all of its parts. Something that is able to function as it was created to function. Let me try to illustrate. When I was 17, maybe 18 years of age, an older woman lived about three-quarters of a mile from me, and she lived in a house without any electricity. I'm not even sure they had running water. But then they built a new little house beside it and got electricity. So I was there helping Dad paint the new house. She took me into her old kitchen, and there on a little shelf was uh, what is called an eight-day kitchen clock. Some of you may know those clocks. 
They stand up about this high, beautiful carving in the top, a gold pitcher in the glass. And the idea was you can wind it once a week and it'll run all week. She told me it belonged to her dad. I later found out that her dad was with Cole Younger the day he killed three men in Oak Ridge, Louisiana in a gunfight. Cole's sister lived just a couple of miles from where we did years before we did. Let me make that clear. But nevertheless, I asked her if she'd sell that clock. She said no. I said, well, if you ever change your mind, let me know. I'd like it, have it. I'd like to buy it. Well, winter was coming on. She, told, she sent word to me. She didn't have a telephone. She sent word to me saying, I want to buy an electric blanket for this winter. <laughs> I want to sell that clock to you. So I went down and got the clock. It was so greasy because she had it in the kitchen, all the grease flying all over. You could hardly see the carving in it. I bought the clock from her, took it home, spent at least seven hours just redoing the cabinet work of it. Took the insides out, cleaned them good, did some adjusting. The little old clocks had what I call a rocker arm that goes up and down. It regulated the time. It had to be just right because if the, if the desk or shelf wasn't level, you had to adjust the rocker arm. So I got it running. Even though that clock was 60 years old, when I bought it, it ran. It was perfect. Not that it didn't have any flaws or defects, but it was doing what it was created to do. It was complete. This word perfect, and we see it quite often in Scripture, and I'll share a lot with you later, refers to a person being complete, being whole, Meaning God has all of that person there is so he can use them for the purpose he created them. It means that person is dedicated to God. That person is sold out. That person is holy or use the term that uh, we don't hear much anymore. That person is sanctified through and through. This is God's command for each of us. But this verse also has a promise for Jesus went on to say in verse 48 as your father which is in heaven perfect meaning that not only is Jesus our pattern for perfection our, our wholeness our completeness he's, he's also the only means by which we can live a holy complete life you may recall when Jesus went back to heaven just before he left. He'd already told him at least two times after his resurrection that go make disciples of all nations. And just before he ascended, according to Acts, the first chapter, verses 4 through 8, he said, but don't go yet. You just wait. Wait in Jerusalem till I send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes upon you, you will have power. So it's only through the infilling of the Holy Spirit that you and I can be perfect, complete, able to be used by God in a significant way. I think about a month or so ago I preached, and I preached also from the same uh, chapters, chapters 5 through 6, 7. I don't remember what my text was at that time, but these are the recording of the longest sermon that we know of that Jesus ever preached. Matthews chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's all about the kingdom of God that he had come to establish. He said his kingdom would be different from all that had ever preceded it or would follow. He called it the kingdom of God. Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven because of his reverence for the name of God. He would not write the name of God. We've lost that reverence, haven't we? Many have today. They use it in all types of, of ways. But it means the reign of Jesus Christ in our lives, where he is the Lord. We are his subjects. I call these three chapters Jesus' condensed gospel version. It's kind of like the Reader's Digest, if you ever read it. Stories condensed down, because in these three chapters, we will read almost everything Jesus ever said and read in his three years or ever said and, and taught in those three years. He said his kingdom would not be built on the proud or the arrogant in Matthew 
5, 5, but blessed are the meek, those who are humble, those who are willing to serve without receiving the attention. He said, my kingdom will not be a physical kingdom. You can see it's over here, it's over there. No, it's a kingdom he builds within our hearts. It's a spiritual kingdom. He said his kingdom would not be limited just to the Jews, his own people, but whoever wanted to come in. For God the Father sent his son into the world, for the world. So love the world, not just the Jews. In fact, he said that his kingdom would be so different that anyone who wanted to enter the kingdom and have the assurance of eternal life would also be different. And that's all he talks about, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. In fact, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. I bet that shocked a lot of people that day. I would say shocked their socks off of them, but they didn't wear socks, they wear sandals. But how they must have been thinking, how in the world can my righteousness surpass that of the religious leaders? There's no way that I can be more holy than they are. So Jesus, throughout these three chapters, began to tell them some characteristics about one who lives in the kingdom of God, one who has come into the kingdom of God. A lot of these scriptures I will not have on the overhead this morning because there are just too many, but just listen to some of these till I get to the main part of the message. In Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, if you want to come into the kingdom of God, you've got to desire him more than anything else in the world. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Filled with what? The Holy Spirit. The Spirit. The only one that can enable us to come into the kingdom of God and live in the kingdom of God. And therefore, he said in Matthew 6, 33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Or in 5.13 and 14, he says, we in the kingdom are examples. He says, you are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. And as such, you should learn to control your anger. In Matthew 5.22, he says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. He goes on and says, we must learn to control our passions. In 528, he says, I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, and that goes for women also, has already committed adultery with him or her in his heart. And then he talks about keeping your word. Let your word be your contrary. He says, just say yes or no in Matthew 537. And then the last one I'll share with you. He said, do not seek revenge, but love your neighbor. In Matthew 5, 43 through 45, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. I would challenge you this week, whenever you have time, go through chapters 5, 6, and 7 as he tells more about living in this kingdom. In order to better understand what Jesus meant when he says, be perfect, I, the Bible program I have on my computer, I, I typed in perfect. And I studied every reference of what the New Testament said. Now, I'm not going to be able to share all of it with you this morning, and that should say, Good, we don't have that much time. But yet I did divide everything that I studied into three categories. You'll see on your outline is one, two, and three with some subcategories. I'll quickly go through. But I consider these as the process of becoming complete or perfect as Christians, especially in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want to submit these to you this morning. The first one is being fully trained, equipped, 
or some translations uses the term thoroughly instructed. According to every scripture I looked at in reference to being perfect, I found two major reasons that we should be fully trained. A, it enables a person to become more like Christ in Luke 6, 40, the words of Jesus. A student, and some translations uses the word learner or pupil or disciple. The student who is fully trained, and that word trained means perfected, will be like his teacher. There's no other word in the New Testament that better describes the life of a Christian except the word disciple. In fact, you'll only find the word Christian three times in the New Testament, none in the Old, and they were used as a put down for those who follow Jesus Christ. Kind of a curse word for disciples of Jesus Christ. The word disciple means one who has accepted the discipline of his teacher for the purpose of becoming like his teacher. That's why Jesus said, if we are fully trained, fully perfected, complete, we will be like our teacher, which is Jesus Christ. Now, I discovered there were two main reasons or two main uh, ways by which Jesus taught his disciples or equipped them. And one was through his teaching, as we've already looked at. Matthew 5, 1 and 2 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Or in Mark 10, 1, Crowds gathered to him again, and again, as was his custom, he taught them. I can only imagine how wonderful it must have been to personally sit at the feet of Jesus and hear him teach. But you know, you and I have something today they did not have. We have his teachings here. We have all that are essential to be disciples who are fully trained. God's word is inerrant. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And as we read and study, God's Holy Spirit within us helps us to understand what we're reading about. We will never understand it all. I admit that. But we will understand enough to know how to be perfect or complete as Christians. So Jesus used his teaching to equip his disciples. He still does today through his holy word. He also used something, item, uh, number two in your outline. He used his own life as an example that he lived before his disciples, especially the apostles. After his resurrection, after the ascending of the Holy Spirit, Jesus or Peter got up and preached about who this Jesus was. And in Acts 2.22, he says, Jesus, God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. So Peter is saying, we followed him for some three years, and you know on the day of crucifixion, they were not even at the cross. Only young John was there. All the rest of them were locked behind doors for fear. But after they saw the risen Savior... They became witnesses of the person of who Jesus was. There was no doubt in their mind that he was and is the Messiah, the Christ. So Jesus equipped his disciples through his teaching, through his lifestyle. Now I see a second reason that we are to be fully trained or equipped. Item B, it enables a person to work for Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the men of God may be thoroughly equipped. And that phrase, thoroughly equipped, in the Greek means perfected or complete or whole for every good work. So Jesus trained and equipped his disciples making them complete so that they would not only be like him, but to carry on his ministry after, his, after he left. Consider this. 
Had Jesus failed to equip the 11 apostles, the church would have never been established. His kingdom would have never been set in place. And it would have, the, the desire, the goal of God would have died on the cross the day Jesus was crucified. But he fully equipped and trained them to carry on the gospel. And that's what we are to be. Equipped. Thoroughly trained. So that we may be more like Christ and carry on his ministry. Point number two, this process, and I emphasize it's a process. It's not something you get one time at the altar. But this process of becoming complete as a Christian involves a spiritual maturing that takes place. And I have listed six characteristics of a mature Christian that came out of those studies that I did on the word perfect. Let me quickly share those with you. To be a mature Christian means that we are constantly growing. Hebrews 6, 1 says, let us go on to maturity. And that word maturity means perfection. Most of us here have had children or still have children, some small. But I remember when our children were small, I think it was about every month as little children, we had to take them to the doctor. It might have been quarterly after they got a little older. And everything that, and every time we took them to the doctor, he would do at least two things. He would weigh them. See how much they had gained since they was, were last in there. And he'd measure, see how long they were as they were laying on the table. He wanted to make sure that they were growing physically at a rate that is normal for children. You know, the same is to be true for us as disciples of Jesus Christ. It should be natural that we grow to maturity little by little, day by day. George Barna, who has his pulse on the church in the United States better than anyone else that I know of. I attended one of his conferences, an all-day conference in Little Rock several years ago. He made this statement, and I quote, Only 10% of the Christians study the Bible weekly, end of quote. And I would guess that probably the majority of that 10% do so only on Sunday mornings. How can we be trained? How can we be growing if we're not studying God's Word? He also said, and I quote, the majority of Christians view transformation to Christ as a one-time solution rather than a lifelong process. And as a result, many believers stop growing in their faith. End of quote. Growth should be natural. It should be something that we want to achieve in our own lives as we grow closer and closer to our Savior and Lord, becoming more and more like Him better in tune with his will for our lives. And as we grow and grow, we become more and more complete, perfected, if you want to use that word. There's a second characteristic I've listed in your outline, item B, Christ-like. And all these are a little bit related. Ephesians 4.13, Paul writes, mature, and that word there means perfect, to the measure of, and listen to this, of the fullness of Christ so that you may no longer be children. The fullness of Christ. It's hard for me to comprehend exactly what Paul meant when he says the fullness of Christ. But it's a maturity that can only be explained as we learn more and more about Jesus Christ. In fact, it is the definition that Jesus gave of disciple found in Luke. He says, a student who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Item C, another characteristic of a mature Christian, stands firm with assurance. We sang the song, what blessed assurance this morning. Colossians 4.12, stand firm in all the will of God, mature. And the Greek word there is complete and fully assured. I see two basic reasons why 
Christians don't stand firm and they lose their salvation and, and drift away from God. And those two are, it's a lack of assurance for one thing. Anytime I have someone saved, I always tell them, before the day is over, Satan will tell you, God has not forgiven you. You've done too much bad. You lived in sin too long. There's no way he will forgive you. And if they ever lose that assurance that they've been forgiven of God, they will not stand firm. They will not hang in there and become mature and complete as Christians. But there's a second reason many do not make it. It's a lack of power. A lack of power. We have to admit that Satan is a worthy enemy to be considered. He has power. He can possess people and cause them to fall out. I witnessed this in Guatemala with a 13-year-old girl that was demon-possessed. Every time she would read her Bible, Satan would throw her on the ground. And she started having seizures. I first thought she had uh, a physical condition. I later found out she was demon-possessed. Her mother was a witch. Her, this girl was starting to dabble a little bit in, in witchcraft and other unholy things. And even though she was saved, Satan had entered her life. And she did not have the power to overcome it. That power comes through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. There is no other way. Look at this fourth characteristic, item D. We're made complete through trials, James 1, 4. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I don't know of anyone who enjoys hurting or going through trials, tribulations, or pain, or sickness, or having Satan attack them. No one enjoys that. But if we would allow our trials and tribulations to become times when we Ask God, what are you trying to teach me now? What must I learn now in my life to be more like you? It is then that he gives us the strength to persevere. And as we are persevering, we become more complete and mature, not lacking in our spiritual lives. It's like the silversmith, a true story. He was melting silver one day and a, a tourist came in to see him working there at, the, at his craft. She said, how long do you keep the silver in the fire as it burns off the dross? He says, I keep it there till I can see my image in the silver. Oh, I love that. That's how long God will keep us in trials and tribulations and refine us till he can see his image his image in us. So he no longer sees carving or someone else. He sees himself. And I've learned from experience and believe in scripture that tells us if we fail to be complete and learn from our trials and tribulations, he makes us go through it again. It's like in school, if you, if you fail the test, you repeat the course. And Jesus loves us so much, he will allow us to go through anything if it would draw us closer to him and grow in the process. Therefore, the next time you're suffering, don't blame God. Yeah, he allowed it to happen. Ask him, what are you trying to teach me now? Item E, another characteristic, the last one I'll share with you. Being complete as a Christian is our number one passion, priority, and purpose. Philippians 3, 13 and following. Paul says, one thing I do, meaning this is what I focus on, forgetting what lies behind and straining towards what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And let those who are mature, what does that word mature mean there? Perfect complete. We can't get away from it in the New Testament. If you want to try to live the Old Testament life, go ahead and do so. But excuse my English, it ain't going to get you anywhere, especially heaven.
It's in the New Testament. It's in the New Testament. I understand Paul to be saying, my number one priority in life is forgetting all the sins I've committed in the past, forgetting all my accomplishments. I don't want to have this egotistical mind. But I focus on what is ahead. That is the, my goal. That prize for which God has called me heavenward. So to be complete as a Christian, we must be fully trained, mature, equipped, thoroughly instructed. And there's one last thing that I found in my study. Number three, restored, and that means adjusted. It means putting all the parts into right relationship one with another. There has to be that connection. Let me again quickly use the illustration of the old clock that I redid. From time to time, it had to be cleaned. That clock now is over 100 years old. It still needs to be cleaned. It still has to be adjusted. Every time I moved it to a new place in the house, I had to take the back off or take the, the guts out, the, the gears, and adjust what I call the rocker arm to get it level. What does it mean to us as Christians to be restored or adjusted? I found three places in reference to the word perfect. A, it was used for mending nets. Jesus saw two brothers. This is Matthew 4. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in the boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. And in the Greek that says they were restoring or mending their nets so they can use their nets. Why? It'd be ridiculous to try to throw your net out there and catch fish if you've got tares in the nets. You don't do that. It has to be repaired. And it is useless for us as Christians, as disciples, to be complete unless we allow God to look in our heart and make some adjustments from time to time. Mend some things in our lives that shouldn't be there. Restore some things. Adjust some things so that we could be more complete. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. Not of the pastor. Not of your teacher. It is the Holy Spirit who lives within us. Who desires that freedom. And that's why Paul said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Let him work in your life because he is trying to adjust some things in your heart. There's a second way it was used. B, restoring a spiritual brother. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual, and there that word means, who are mature spiritually, filled with the Holy Spirit, should restore him gently. And that word restore means to mend and to make complete. Let me use the illustration of the clock again. I bought another antique clock when I was in my teens. A little small clock about this high. It had a French provincial design on it. Beautiful little clock. Uh, porcelain face. I think the works were Ansonia or something like that. But it wouldn't run. Oh, I'd get it run. It'd run about 15 minutes and quit. I finally deducted that there was too much tension in the clock. Something was wrong. It needed to be restored or adjusted. Now, I had never studied clockwork, didn't know what I was doing. So I got on my mama's kitchen table, began to loosen one of the screws in the works. It was the wrong screw. The spring sprang. Parts went all over the kitchen. I never did get that clock back together. I ruined a, probably a 40 or 50 dollar clock trying to do something to restore it. I don't know that I ever found all the parts. I still have the case and I have my kid's picture in it. You don't see the porcelain dial or the porcelain face anymore or the hands. 
You see their little pictures. That's why Paul says, restore your brothers gently. Gently. If you're close to someone and that person you know is drifting away, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he may be telling you to go to that person and say, I'm praying for you. You're going to make it. I had a woman in my church when I was a kid. Anytime I went to the altar, and I went to the altar quite a bit because I was a rebellious kid. But every time, after the service, she'd come up, throw those arms around me and almost crack a rib. She says, you're going to make it, Carmen. You're going to make it. And she did live long enough to see that I made it. Oh, I'm still working on it. I'm still having to be restored and tweaked a little bit and adjusted. But I'm going to make it. The last thing I want to share with you, in reference to being perfect and restored, is unity in the church. Coming from Paul's writings, 1 Corinthians 1.10. I appeal to you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united. And that word means restored in mind and thought. If you know anything about the Corinthian church, it was the worst example of a church found in all the New Testament except for the book of Revelation. They were divided, fighting. So Paul is urging them to be restored and have a sense of unity. In a couple of weeks, I suppose we'll be voting on someone. Oftentimes, during some type of election in the church or selection, Satan will get in there and try to cause problems, disunity. Some will start going around and politicking for or against the person. There should not be any politicking in the church. I, I hate politicking in the church. I even hate elections in the church. There's nothing Scripture says the church ever had elections, but yet we do it because we're a democratic country. But Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, evidently they weren't getting much better. He said, brothers, aim for perfection or restoration. He says, listen to my appeal. Be of one mind and live in peace. I'm going to fast before I vote in this next election. I'll be honest with you, I will. I want to know God's mind. I don't particularly want to know yours. Don't come to me and tell me pros and cons because I probably won't listen. I want to know God's. I want to know God's. Jesus established a spiritual kingdom 2,000 years ago. We usually call it the church. Membership is not based upon the family we are born into. It's not based upon good works, although we are saved for good works. And good works are necessary in the church. We do not get in the church by being voted on or against. No, we become members of his kingdom by accepting his son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior and Lord. And we start the process of becoming perfect and complete in this process should not and does not finish until we see Jesus face to face. It's a lifelong journey. Let me ask you this morning, I'm going to just ask two questions. The first one, I know that most will be able to answer yes, but have you started this journey of faith? Have you entered into the kingdom? Does Jesus Christ rule in your heart as king or himself still on the throne? And I'm going to challenge you today and throughout this week, look at those three main characteristics I have. Those processes, those steps 
of becoming complete. Are there any you need to work on? Do you need to be more fully trained and equipped? And if so, the church needs to do that. Sometimes we as a church have failed. We have somebody come to Jesus Christ and we immediately put them on a board or put them in a Sunday school class and they have no idea what to do. Oh, that's a sin against that person. If we expect people to serve in the church, we are to train them or have them trained. Are you becoming more spiritual? Are you needing to work on that? Or is there something in your heart that needs to be adjusted? I'll be honest with you. That's daily for me. It is. It is a daily thing that God has to do in my life. I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and be in an attitude of prayer. If God's Spirit has shown you this morning that you need to be more complete, fully trained, more spiritual, allowing the Holy Spirit to adjust things in your life, if you're ready to allow Him to do that, I'm going to encourage you to come to a place of prayer. Make that commitment today that you want to be everything God wants you to be. If you want to pray by yourself, you can come to these front pews up here. You can sit, kneel, stand, whatever. But if you'd like for me to pray with you today, I'm going to ask that you come to the altar. So as we stand to sing a few verses of an invitation, if you have any need whatsoever, I invite you to come. Let us stand together as we sing. Let's join together singing, With Thy Spirit Fill Me.
thank you all for being here this morning. Hope to see many of you as Ken come to uh, the service this afternoon at 3 o'clock. And uh, I'd like to just close with a little prayer I ran across uh, this morning. Father, I surrender to you all my hurt, pain, worry, doubt, fear, and anxiety. And I ask you to wash me clean. In Jesus' name, amen.